0: One of the crucial mistakes we made was not running a proper process. We didn't make this conscious decision that we were going to raise money. And so we just kind of had one investor conversation at a time. And that was a terrible way to do it because firstly, it's a time-intensive process raising money. And so constricting that period of time is really important. But also there's a real sense of FOMO with investors. They for signals in the market and one of the best signals is other investors want in. So if you can run a process where you create this sense of urgency and opportunity amongst all of your investors, that'll really increase your prospect not only of closing the round, but of getting a better valuation and getting better terms.
1: This is The Raise, where we take you behind the scenes into the capital-raising journeys of startup founders. Some you may have heard of, others you need to hear about, and all of whom have been through it to close a raise. On the show, you'll learn how founders make the difficult decisions. Whether you're a founder yourself or you're simply interested in the fast-moving, innovative world of startups, this show is for you. I'm your host, Mylin Dang. I'm managing director of capital raising law firm Metis Law. For over a decade, I've worked with founders to raise capital so they can build businesses that make a lasting impact. Hello, hello founders and friends. Today on The Rays is the second installment in my chat with Noga Edelstein. If you missed the first installment, Noga shared how to scale your startup by knowing who your target customers are, which is trickier than you think, how to prepare an investor pitch that actually gets heard, and how to approach building an investor network that gets you efficient access to capital. In this second and final installment, Noga shares her knowledge about the art of valuing a startup and what you need to do to vet and secure the right investor for your startup. Let's dive in. You mentioned valuation, and that's a big mystery for many, many founders. How do you value a startup?
0: (laughs) I'm laughing because it's still a mystery to me. It's funny because when I thought about becoming an investor, I think I did a typically female thing, which was... I lacked confidence in my ability around the numbers. And I think that's another just typically female trait is we don't sell ourselves enough. We don't give ourselves enough credit for our experience. And so when you're pitching and the male team is telling the investors how it's going to be a billion dollar opportunity and the woman saying, well, these are my conservative estimates. So it's just instinctive sometimes that the investors want to go for the bigger opportunity and they, they don't understand that the woman's just being underestimating herself. So, yeah, so I underestimated my ability to, to do the valuations and, and do the numbers. And so I actually, I did the UNSW angel investing course. They run an AGSM program. I did the very first one. I was lucky enough to be given a complimentary spot and it was amazing. I learned so much. But I went there specifically because I had this gap in my knowledge around valuing companies. And I every presenter that went up there, I was waiting for the magic spreadsheet. This is it. <laughs> this is the spreadsheet you use to value companies. And it doesn't exist. It's an art, not a science. Even now at Tractor, that is something that our portfolio companies do need support with because they're going to raise money and we're helping them to figure that out. And there is just no magic formula. It's a combination of of how much money they need to raise, what their revenue is, what dilution they're willing to take. It's a real combination, what stage they're at, what kind of business there is, what comparables there are. And I think that's a One of the biggest pieces of advice I'd give to founders is do your research, get as many comparables as you can so that you have justification when you're going to your investors. And also, don't always think that a bigger valuation is better because that can be a little bit of a trap to fall into. So, I've seen companies that raise at a super high valuation, which is initially great because you don't have to give away so much equity. However, that capital comes with a lot of expectations. VC money comes with a whole suite of expectations. And if you're not able to reach those goals that you've laid out for yourself, you may end up having to raise your next round, what they call a down round where your valuation goes down. And that's like the death knoll for a startup. It's going to be very, very hard for you to come back from that. So yeah, I think just really understanding how valuation impacts your, the trajectory of your business is really important.
1: Yeah, I definitely think some founders overestimate the importance of a big valuation at early early rounds. And as you say, the
0: dreaded down round. That's where Tractor can come in because we provide non-dilutive financing. And so what we're seeing quite a bit of lately is companies that will come in and say, we do want to do an equity round, but we're not quite ready yet. We want to hit a few more milestones before we have to sell some shares so that we can sell at a slightly higher valuation. They'll take some financing from Tractor to enable them to hit those milestones. And then when they are ready to raise, they can do it at a better valuation. Or part of that as well is we need to raise, but we don't want to sell so many shares. We don't want to dilute quite so much. So we'll do some as a and we'll do some as equity. And so we kind of balance the risk in that way. Do you speak to startups while they're in the
1: equity capital raising mode or specifically startups that can't do equity or are not yet ready? For equity?
0: It's a bit of both. It's interesting. I think when we first started, so founders Matt Allen, April Allen, and Jody Imam, and they called it Tractor Ventures because the startup ecosystem is full of companies that are just doing great revenue, they're profitable, and they don't necessarily want to be rockets. They're just, you know, tractors, they're just moving on, doing really well. That is true, but there are also some companies that want to leverage capital for other reasons. And so we do speak to companies at the at a really variety of stages where I come in. So I am entrepreneur in residence and I run the advisory team. So we have a program called Fast Track where companies can use all of our expertise. So Tractor has 90 shareholders who are all exited founders and operators and are here to support our companies that are in the Fast Track program to help them scale and grow. And often those companies do want to do an equity raise at some point. And so we can help them through that journey as well. Do they need to be revenue generating? To take the finance, yes, that's right. So to get a loan from Tractor to take the revenue-based financing, you do need to be generating revenue.
1: What do you look for when a startup reaches out to you to pitch an idea or a business?
0: So at Black Nova, we specifically invest in B2B SaaS businesses, kind of boring tools of the internet, (laughs) we like to say. So it depends what hat I'm wearing. In my personal angel investor hat, I like to invest in companies that I understand, firstly. I think there's a variety of strategies you can employ as an investor. And I think one of the learnings I've had, there's a great range of opportunities to invest alongside other investors and use their expertise. So syndicates are really interesting at the moment. There's a a lot of syndicates popping up where you can invest from as little as $5,000. You don't have to write a big check to be an angel investor. I think that's a bit of a misunderstanding. And so sometimes. I'll invest alongside a syndicate where someone else can do the legwork and validate the idea and put together the deal memo. Or you can invest as an LP in a fund. So for example, Tenacious Ventures is an ag tech fund that I'm an LP in because I think there's a great future in ag tech and a great opportunity, but I don't know anything about agriculture. (laughs) But companies that I'll invest personally in are ones where I really understand the problem. I really connect with the founder. I think I can add some value and I just want to be part of their journey. So it's a very challenging environment
1: at the moment to raise capital. What are the startups that you're funding at the moment? What are they doing that's keeping you interested?
0: So it is a difficult fundraising environment. I think that we've seen valuations really come off the boil in recent times, and we're also seeing a lot of the VCs hold some dry powder to support their existing portfolio companies. So it's really hard as a founder trying to raise for the first time. Having said that, there's still plenty of money around. The share market's not doing great things at the moment. (laughs) Interest rates are starting to come back, but they've been low. So there are people with money to invest that have been a little bit scared, but are also looking for good opportunities. I would say if I was a founder looking to raise now, I would firstly just do everything I can to extend my runway because you don't want to be in a position right now where you have to raise. There are some predatory investors that will try and push your valuation down. So you want to be coming to that process in a position of power where you can be great to raise some money, but you don't need to. And then... I think just really focus on the strengths of your business. So I'm still seeing great opportunities. We've got, you know, a bunch of companies at Tractor that are successfully raising money, and we help them do that through our own shareholder network because they're such strong businesses. One of the things I really like at the moment is that there's this real shift from I think the startup media has really shone its light on companies that are raising money as being a symbol of success in the past. And I don't think that is a symbol of success. Like just purely being able to raise money does not mean you've got a great business. We see so many companies that have listed and they're still not even profitable businesses. I, I don't even understand how that works. But now there's this real shift to profitability and highlighting businesses that are actually revenue generating high growth, positive revenue businesses. And so that is what I think startups need to be doing now. It's not growth for growth's sake. It's growth like for the sake of long-term value, like really focusing on bringing down your cost of acquisition, focus on the metrics, focus on those customers that are bringing you value rather than just any old user. And I think, you know, you won't have trouble raising money. You raised a couple of really interesting points, extending your runway.
1: What are a few ways that a founder can do that for their startup? I mean, there's two ways. One
0: is bring in more money (laughs) and one is cut your costs. (laughs) Obviously, cutting your costs is the less pleasant version of that. But bringing in more money doesn't necessarily mean raising more money. The best money is customer money, sales. I think there's a real opportunity to focus on converting users when we talk about growth for growth sake, we're, often it's just user acquisition, whether or not they're paying users. So a lot of freemium businesses, and now's the time to focus on converting those users into paid users. Like if you're an e-commerce company, how do you increase basket size? How do you increase repeat usage? How do you get those customers you've already got and get them coming back and buying again? All of those things will bring in more money, extend your runway without necessarily having to cut costs or raise money or sell shares or do any of those things. The cost cutting sides obviously as I say less pleasant, but sometimes you really have to make those difficult decisions and when you're close to the end of the year, that's not a good time to be raising money. When the market's down, that's not a good time to be raising money. So you always need to be focused on your cash flow forecast and this is a lesson for all founders, but for the women in particular as we mentioned who may not be as comfortable with those financial statements, you have to be across it. You have to know how your money comes in and your money comes out and make sure you can get through to that next milestone.
1: You mentioned not getting desperate for funds. (laughs) That can be difficult as a startup founder and it could be difficult for a startup founder also to not accept money from the first investor who offers it to them. But obviously for the long-term benefit of your startup, you need to be strategic about the investors that you bring on. So they really need to do their due diligence. And I've seen many founders get buyer's remorse from taking money from the wrong investor. What are effective ways to conduct due diligence on an investor?
0: That's such a good point. I think it's really important to know that you are married. It's like a marriage to your investor, right? This journey that you're on, this startup journey, it's not a short one. Like it's going to be probably f- at least 5 to 10 years if not more and you are hitching yourself not just to them personally but to their expectations and to what their goals are and i think that's actually another topic we we can touch on which is just really understanding who your investor is and and what their Underlying goals might be. But in terms of doing due diligence, investors will always give you names of people to talk to. They're probably going to be positive. It's like any reference checking, right? They're going to be the positive cases. Do your homework, look on their website, and you can see the names of all of the companies that they've invested in and just reach out to them. And I think it's understanding what are the questions you want to ask them. It's really important to know what kind of support are they going to provide other than financial? How involved will they be? And if you're an early stage company, you might want someone really hands-on, but if you're a later stage company, you might want someone really hands-off, right? You don't necessarily want to be on the phone every week to your investors. So knowing what your priorities and requirements are and then how the investors are likely to respond to those, it'd be good to ask the question of how do they respond in when the times are tough? Because when the, when it's good times... That's great. Everyone's happy. The investors are supportive. They're giving you the pat on the back and it's great, but it's a roller coaster ride and there will be tough times. Maybe you're close to running out of cash. Maybe you have to make those difficult decisions of letting people go. Maybe you're struggling to raise the next round of funding. Do they dig in and help? Are they supportive or are they kind of, you know, cracking the whip and making life even harder? And there's vast ranges across that spectrum, but those are the kinds of things I would want to know. Great questions. You've been working in venture capital for
1: a few years now. If you can go back in time to when you were starting Urban U, what would you have done differently about your capital raising?
0: I think there's a few key lessons. We've touched on a few. So build your investor list early. I think one of the crucial mistakes we made was not running a proper process. So especially in our early rounds, we didn't make this conscious decision that we were going to raise money. We kind of started pitching the business. We had some good traction and feedback and people started saying, oh, you know, you should think about raising. And so we just kind of had one investor conversation at a time. And that was a terrible way to do it because Firstly, it's a time intensive process, raising money. You are out of the business for a good chunk of time while you're doing it. And so constricting that period of time is really important. But also there's a real sense of FOMO with investors. And it's always said, but it's so true. If they feel like no one else is interested in you. Then they also lose a little bit of interest. And this goes back to the whole, it's art, not science. Like It's not like there's a way of ultimately knowing if a startup's going to be successful. They look for signals in the market. And one of the best signals is other investors want in. So if you can run a process where you create this sense of urgency and opportunity amongst all of your investors, that'll really increase your prospect, not only of closing the round, but of getting a better valuation and getting better terms. I'm so glad you said that about the process. It's so important
1: not to spend your whole life running capital raising,
0: hundred percent. And like just even documentation wise, like treating it like a sales funnel, use a CRM, track your prospects and start it early. So don't just start that process on the day you go live with your raise. These are invest contact lists you should be building and maintaining from day one. I'm on the the mailing list now for so many investor updates from startups, but it's a great way of building confidence and trust before you're ready to make the ask for money.
1: So one of the ways to build FOMO is to have a lead investor showing that interest. What's a piece of advice that you can give to a founder in order to find and get someone on board as soon as possible to become a lead investor?
0: Yeah, it's a bit of a chicken and egg, isn't it? Because once you secure a lead, everyone else tends to follow. I think it's understanding what are the criteria or the characteristics of a lead investor. And so the lead will be the person that ultimately does the due diligence that the other follow-ons rely on. What does that look like? It's typically a VC firm that has the resources and the expertise to run that due diligence. It does depend obviously on the size of your raise. So if you're doing an early stage, small round, couple of hundred grand, you might find like a high net worth that is willing to lead. But typically it's usually like more of a VC type investor that will be the lead. Understand what check size people normally write. People are scared of asking that question, but I always say to people, just like ask the question. When you have those first meetings with the investor, uh, like what check size do you typically write? Because You might discover that this high net worth you've been speaking with that you think is loaded and is going to write like a 500k check, maybe they write 25k checks and like that's fine, put them on your list, but then move aside. They're not going to lead, right? They're not going to be doing that whole process for a small check like that. Actually, that was a good learning we had when we were pitching early on to one of the angel groups where we did a great pitch. We were one of the best pitchers of the night. We had heaps of people interested. And we just assumed this was a room of people that were almost going to close our 500k round at the time. And what we discovered was they were all going to write really small checks and we were going to have to, it was almost like herding cats. They were each going to write a small check. We had to satisfy each of them. It just was a really long drawn out process. So part of that research that you mentioned, Mylene, on your investors is make sure they invest in your industry, like you're not wasting your time. What kind of check do they write? Do they lead? And then you can figure out how to structure that process to focus on those leads first and then you get your follow-ons. Great tips. Noga,
1: have you as an investor
0: passed up on any investments that
1: you look back on with regret?
0: I'm probably a little bit early for that because I've only been doing it for a couple of years. One of the things I find really hard about angel investing is you don't know if you're any good at it for a good 10 years. (laughs) So I haven't had any investments that have gone out of business. So that's good. I definitely have ones where I know they're going to be good businesses, but I just can't quite get my head around it myself. And when I see them raise and grow, I'm so happy for them. But of course I have a pang of regret and you, you, wonder like that is kind of the journey. I mean,
1: you've shared so much insightful information and advice today, but what's one thing you can share with other founders who are thinking about raising capital or are embarking on the capital raising journey in the current
0: climate? I think the one other piece of advice to share is to understand the investor community a bit better and who the different players are. So, know that if you're raising money from a VC, that means they manage other people's money. And so, they don't necessarily have any flexibility or choice. They've made promises to their investors about what industries they're going to invest in, what timeline they're going to return the funds on. So, if you take money from a VC, firstly, you know, if they don't invest in your space, that's just it, you're wasting your time. But, secondly, they've committed to re- Turn that capital to their investors. So they're going to need an exit of some sort for you to do that. So if you want to build a business and grow up for life, VC may not be the best way for you to do that. Whereas in individuals, angels have a lot more flexibility, but potentially a lot less money to invest. And then family offices may have a particular mandate that's a little bit more flexible capital. So maybe their mandate is around, you know, social impact or something like that. They can be a bit more flexible with how they deploy their capital and what timeline they want to return in, but they do tend to write bigger checks. My advice would be really understand how the capital markets work within the different investment sectors. And then also look at all other opportunities for non-dilutive capital, because I always say as a founder, any day I don't have to sell shares in my company is a good day. (laughs) You want to retain that value for yourself as long as possible. There will come a time where it makes sense, but have your options open into all of the different ways you can grow value in your company.
1: And is there anything about Tractor Ventures and what you do at Tractor Ventures that I haven't asked you about today that you'd like to share?
0: Oh, we do so much at Tractor Ventures, Marlene. Look, I think it's just good to know that we're a team of ex- founders ourselves. We've all been there, done that. We really understand the journey that you're on. We want to, as we say, unlock possibilities for founders. So just to help you achieve whatever your goals are and whether that's through the non-dilutive capital or the advice we offer through The Village and Fast Track, we're a great bunch of people. Come talk to us. <laughs> Nogra, I'd
1: like to finish off with what I call the quick six, which are six rapid fire questions. And you don't need to think too much about them before you answer. Okay. What's your favorite work from home, lunch or snack?
0: Definitely coffee. (laughs) (laughs) How do you like your coffee? I have a three-quarter skim flat white. I have a very Sydney Eastern Suburbs coffee order, yes.
1: What's a great book that you've read recently?
0: Uh, We were just talking about Shantaram, actually. It's one of my all-time favourite books and now is a series on Apple TV, apparently, which I need to start watching
1: I uh, just heard about that a couple of days ago. So yes, we're going to start watching that this weekend. (laughs) What's a documentary or podcast that you've watched or listened to recently that you would recommend?
0: I am a big fan of, obviously, your podcast. The Tractor Ventures have a hard mode podcast, which is all of our founders, which is great. But Masters of Scale, Threed Hoffman, is one of my all-time favorites. It's on rotation when I'm doing my walk with my little Eastern Suburbs (laughs) cavoodle
1: in the mornings. What's the most useful good or service that you've purchased in the last 12
0: months that costs $100 or less? My favourite all-time services and my favourite all-time app is Hey You, where I can order my coffee in advance and don't have to queue up. I, I am sounding like a coffee addict here. Anything that can save me time and increase my convenience, I'm in for that.
1: Love it. We've had Rebecca Campbell on the show as well. She's a good friend of mine. What's on heavy rotation on
0: your music playlist right now? Do you know what? I have such little choice in the music I listen to because I have two teen boys, age 11, <laughs> 11 and 13, and so crowded house, in excess. Grew up in the 90s, so all of all of that I love. <laughs> awesome. If you could have
1: dinner with any person dead or alive who would it be and why
0: I think that I'd have dinner with my dad again because he's no longer with us and I miss him a lot and we've reminisced about him on this podcast and so I'd love to tell him about all the things I'm doing now and get some advice from him
1: <laughs> I reckon he'd be pretty super proud of you Nugger, this has been lots of fun how do people find you
0: yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way to connect with me. If you're interested in learning more about what we offer at Tractor Ventures, you can go to our website um, and yeah, we would love to chat with you. Thank you
1: so much for sharing your story with me today, Noga. I'm very grateful for you. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun to chat. You've been listening to The Raise, a show that takes you deeper into founder stories about capital raising. We'll have all the contact details for Nogga and Tractor Adventures in our show notes. If you'd like to learn how to raise capital like a guru, check out one of our free capital raising webinars. Head to termsheet.guru. That's T-E-R-M-S-H-E-E-T dot G-U-R-U. This podcast is brought to you by Termsheet Guru. Raise capital successfully and faster with Termsheet Guru, so your startup can make an impact. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Raise, be sure to subscribe or follow the show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And while you're there, share the love and leave us a five-star review. It really helps us spread these amazing founder stories far and wide. I'm Mylin Dang, and we'll be back next episode with another deep dive into a founder's capital raising journey.